Father, we thank you so much for Mike. We thank you for his life that is surrendered to you. You know his story, you know his life, and it's tonight that he'll be able to speak out of that wellspring. And we just open up our hearts to hear your voice through Mike. And just pray that you would help him to, to minister to your people tonight and that he would just be able to land, land that seed in good soil, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. How are y'all doing tonight? Yeah, is everyone okay? All right, cool. If y'all are quiet, I'm going to get bored. And when I get bored, I slow down. So, so y'all need to keep me awake. Hey, we're going to be here till nine o'clock if you don't. <laughs> so if you're one of these meticulous note takers and you just have to have a title, I suppose you can put the theme of our faith promise season, which is across the street, across the globe. And a lot of times we approach scripture um, and we bring the wrong questions when we come to scripture. We come to scripture and, you know, even if we don't think about it this way, we come to scripture thinking something like, what are the rules? What am I allowed to do? What's not allowed to do? What are the rules? Or we come to scripture with, um, how can I get a blessing? (laughs) Yeah, you know, it happens. How can I get favor? How can I get a blessing? Um, so we come to scripture with these questions, but those are the wrong questions. God gave us scripture to answer these questions. Who is God? And what is God like? Those are the right questions because he left scripture as his gift to us so we can discover him and that he is things like first a father, right? And what is he like? The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. Right? Did you know that? It's in Exodus chapter 34. Is it 34? Right? One of those. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Right? Some former LTS students said, yes, Exodus 34. So with the right questions in mind, who is God and what's he like? We're going to look at four things around the story of Ruth. And these four things are the context, the story, the hero, and the opportunity. Okay, so we're going to look at those four things. We're only going to go to the first two chapters because chapter three and chapter four talk about marriage and I'm just not going to be up in here talking about marriage. Is that okay? Right? Yeah, because connect gets so awkward, hey, when people do that. (laughs) Come on, y'all, let's have some fun, right? So just um, read with me um, Ruth chapter two. Verse 3. So she went out, entered a field. Where did she go? A field. Y'all awake? Where did she go? A field. And she began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turns out, and that's how God works a lot of ways, it just so happens. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Who is Elimelech? Elimelech? Eli? whatever this dude, however you pronounce his name, anybody speak Hebrew, right? However you pronounce Eli's name, she was in his field. And why is that important? Eli was the father of her, of Ruth's dead husband, right? So Ruth's a widow and she's working in this field and it just happens to be a field of a family member. So it's interesting. So that's, I just wanted to show you that's, that setting of where we're going to spend most of our time tonight. She was in a field, in a wheat field. 
Um, my friend said, my friend tonight, when I was sharing before prayer, he said, be really careful with your accent. It sounds like you're talking about weed. So, wheat, nidachani, wheat. Okay? So he, she was in a wheat field, right? And God wants to show Ruth and her mother-in-law, who's also widowed by this time in the story, God wants to show these two ladies who he is and what he's like, because they're carrying a misconception about who he is and what he's like. And hear my heart. He shows this to her, not in the synagogue, but at the farm, right? He's not at the synagogue, not at the temple, not at the tabernacle. He shows this to her at the farm, at work, right? Isn't that beautiful? So let's quickly look at the context. What is the context of the story? So Ruth chapter one, verse one begins with this statement. In the days when the judges ruled, right? If if you've ever read the the book of Judges, then as soon as you see that statement, you go, you, you, Judges is hectic, hey? Man, you can see all kinds of stuff in Judges. Dismemberment, I mean, seriously, there's some hectic stuff in the book of Judges. It's a brutal time in Israel's history. Two times in Judges, this statement appears. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did as he saw fit in his own eyes. That sounds pretty safe, doesn't it? (laughs) No, man, no, it was a mess. So Israel was trying without recognizing God as their king to live according to the law. Well, you know, they were trying for like maybe, you know, a week and then they would just quit. And then they would just go off the deep end and go completely stark raving mad and nuts and sin like crazy. And then what they learned, they learned all about the consequences of sin. And it got ugly, y'all. It got ugly. A brutal time in Israel's history. The law was introduced to teach humanity that we cannot measure up to God's standard without his grace. That is what the law was introduced for. You find that in the book of Romans, right? So um, if you want to see just how bad it can go when you try on your own merit to measure up, just have a look at Judges, right? But then please come back to Jesus or you'll need a lot of Prozac. (laughs) It was rough. Right? So if you come to the rules and you fail at the rules, then you find yourself dealing with the consequences. You're seeing what sin is like. You are not seeing what God is like. So here are a lot of people, God did this to me, and I walked, you know, I, this happened and this happened, and why would God let this happen, and how could God this, and how could God that? And they're talking about the stuff that sin does to humans, not God, sin, right? So God wants us to know what he is like and he wants us to stop confusing the two. So here's an example of this at the end of chapter one in Ruth. Here is Naomi, right? And the story is in this time, somewhere during the time of the book of Judges, I read two different accounts, two different, um, two different scholars. One person, one of the guys thought that Ruth's story happened right at the beginning with one of the first judges and another scholar thought, no, 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 it was right at the end. <laughs> so somewhere in there, this happened. 
and there was a hectic famine in the land. And these and her family lived in Bethlehem, which was like the breadbasket of Israel. But all of a sudden, there's no bread. And they decided to move to Moab. It was like one of the worst places you could move if you're a believer, if you're one of God's people for all kinds of reasons I won't get into right now. But they went there because there was, at least there was bread in Moab. And while they were there, as soon as they moved in, um, before long, Eli died. So now his wife, Naomi, is left with her two sons. And then they get married, but then they died. So now you basically have three widows living in Moab. And so then she decides to go back to Israel. And when she gets there, in verse 20 and 21, uh, the people said, it must be Naomi. And then the name Naomi means pleasant. And this is her response in verse 20. She says, don't call me pleasant. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me pleasant? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. But see, it wasn't the Lord who afflicted her. It was the Lord who was busy arranging, arranging provision for her in her old age, as we'll see as we continue to read Ruth. Ruth's amazing book. You can read the whole thing in like 10 minutes. It's an incredible story of hope. And unknown to Naomi, he was busy giving her a part in the greatest story ever told. Right? And if you're like, what? Just stick with me. The greatest story ever told. The end of the book of Ruth, um, in chapter 4, verse 14 and 15, this is the end of the book. The women of the city are saying to her, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a Redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Right? So at the end of the book, Naomi's got um, a grandson that she gets to raise as a son to take, care of him, to take care of her. And God has arranged for her provision. So at the end of chapter 1, she's saying, don't you call me pleasant? My name, you must call me bitter because God has afflicted me. And by the end of the book, she's realized God is good. People, God is good. So there's the context. Let's have a look at the story. I already shared some of it with you. Eli, however you say his name, took his family during the famine and then he up and died that was really nice then his sons married Moabite women now there's a law in the Levitical law don't be going and marrying women from other from other nations right and why on earth was that law there at that time nobody was worshiping the living God but the people of Israel so God did not want his people to go off and be influenced and start worshiping other idols, right? That was the point. It wasn't that God had something against all this and I don't like girls from this country and I don't blah, blah, blah. It was not that. It was, it was don't go and give up following me on the altar of a, of a temporal relationship. It's the relationship with God is eternal. So don't sacrifice an eternal relationship for one that won't last for eternity. That was his point. But see, now here these guys went off and they married Moabite women who did not worship God. And one of those women stayed behind. 
She loved her mother-in-law, Ruth, but Ruth persuaded her. Ruth said things like, what am I going to have another son? Look at me. I'm old. You know, you've got, you've got nothing and I'm going to go back to Israel and you're not from there and you're going to be a refugee. And she persuaded that daughter-in-law and they parted with tears and they, they loved one another. And then she tried to persuade Ruth and Ruth said, oh, well, I'm, I'm going where you go. And your God is my God. Something had convinced Ruth of the goodness of God. And she went. So here's a family that interestingly enough, they were refugees in two nations. Eli and his wife and his two sons moved to Moab to escape a famine and they are refugees. And do you know, you see some of the difficulties today with the rise of nationalism in Europe and some of that ugliness going on there. And we don't want all these refugees. We're not going to be safe. Refugees were treated even worse in this time in human history than they are today. It was one of the lowest classes of society you can be. Right, So this family was a refugee and they were looked down upon and poorly treated. And also the relationship between Moab and Israel was really not fine. It was not good. <laughs> right, So they were looked down upon and then all the men die. And Naomi goes back to Israel with her Moabite daughter-in-law to be refugees. <laughs> because Ruth's not an Israelite. And Naomi's there, and she is now the other kind of lowest class of society in ancient, in ancient human um, civilization, a childless widow, right? And the reason God wrote in the Levitical laws over and over, take care of widows, do this, do that, is because the world was not taking care of their own, right? They looked at it like this, if you were childless and widowed, you must be cursed, and even a lot of times the people, the Israelites would look at it that way. But let me tell you something. God does not look at it that way. Right? So here they are. There were refugees in Moab. And now they're refugees in Israel. They're, in, they're one of the lowest social classes you can have in that ancient culture. And chapter 1 closes when Naomi declaring her bitterness and her view of God as the one who would bring this kind of misfortune on her. And that's the story right? Enough of the story. It's not fun, right? So let's look at the hero because the hero is the good part. Enter the hero. Y'all think I'm going to talk about God, right? Enter the hero, a dude named Boaz. Because God wanted to show these women what he's like. But you know what he wants to use to show other people, to show refugees, to show the downtrodden what he's like? He wants to use you and me. All right, so the hero of the story is someone who knows what God is like and isn't afraid to act like it. So enter Boaz, the hero of the story. Chapter 2 begins by introducing this character. And Boaz exists in this story for the same reason that you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, exist in the stories of other people around us. Boaz is here to show these suffer, suffering refugees what God is really like. And can I suggest to you that you're still breathing air on this planet to show other people what God is really like. God loves you, man. God loves you. Wouldn't, I mean, you know, if we, wouldn't it make so much sense because we're so in this earth surrounded by such suffering and such temptation. As soon as we give our heart to Jesus, wouldn't it make sense for God to just snatch us up to heaven straight away? Whoo, got another one. And, he can, and we can see him face to face and we can enjoy each other face to face. Why are we still here? Right? Because he wants other people to see what he's really 
like? What is God like? Let's really show people what he's like. So Boaz rocks up and he starts acting like the father would act. In verse, in verse 5 of chapter 2, he sees her. He sees her. He, he walks in and you see, even, even in verse 4, you see, you know, a lot of folks would get to work and not acknowledge people and, and they're lording it over because I own this thing. No, he walks in and greets his people and they greet him back. They weren't afraid, right? So this is a good man and he's fair and he's loving to folks who don't even have the same kind of stature and standing that he does. So he's greeting everyone and there's a camaraderie. And there's a conversation. And then this girl catches his eye and he says, who's that? Right? And listen, you know, y'all could think it's like Boaz was like, yo, who is that? Right? You read on in chapter three, he was a bit older and she was not. So I don't think it's that way. Can I suggest to you? It's not that way. Also, if I can just be really practical, you read the book of Esther. It's another book where the heroine, with the hero of the story, the, um, the central figure of the story is a lady. And Esther, the writer, falls over himself all the time to say Esther was beautiful. Esther was beautiful. And he's, okay, I get it. She was beautiful. Man, whoever wrote Ruth doesn't say it even one time. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying one way or the other, you know. Maybe it's just immaterial to the story. You know, maybe it doesn't. Maybe she was stunning, but that's not the point, you know. But whether or not, because it really is immaterial to the story, but whether or not she was insanely attractive or, you know, somewhere in between that and somewhat less attractive. Boaz saw her at the end of the day when she had been in the hot sun and in a dusty wheat field, um, picking wheat all day. Right. How many of y'all look your best after that? Right. So this was not a, yo, who's the hot chick? It was not that at all. Boaz just said, who's that? He saw her. And why is it significant that he saw her in the Levitical law, in the law that Israel operated by. It was the law that you were not allowed to pick up the little pieces of wheat or whatever you were farming that fell when you were harvesting in your, in your baskets. It was the law that you had to leave it there so the poor people could come and gather these little bits of stuff that fell off and then they could use that to eat. That was the law, right? And, and you know what? Just like every other country, there's a lot of poor people. So every field because they knew this was the law. Every field had lots of people, you know, right behind those harvesters. Those harvesters were getting the good stuff and those other people were right behind them just grabbing and collecting what little bits they could so that their family could eat. So Ruth was not alone in that field. She was surrounded. She was just another, she could have been just another nameless, faith, faceless beggar scrounging for what little she could. And that's how a lot of people treated those poor that would come and glean in their fields. But that's not how Boaz acted. Boaz must have known every one of them. Because he looked and he saw the folks in his field and then he saw a new face. And he said, hey, who's that? Right? And that's what God is like. He sees you. There's a lady named Hagar in the book of Genesis. I think it's chapter 15 or 16, right? And, and she is run off from Sarah. Um, and it was Sarah's fault, not Hagar's fault. Sarah and Abraham. And she's run off and she's hiding somewhere in the wilderness. And God appears to her and gives her this incredible word. 
And then um, she's just a slave woman, right? Whatever that means. And she named the place where she met with God. You know what she named it? He sees me, right? He sees me. That is one of the covenant names of God. He sees you. Then the next thing he does is he protects her. He tells her, don't go to the other fields where you may not be safe. Right? Here's a young woman all alone, right? And there's lots of men working the fields. Y'all don't have to get imagine too hard to see what could happen, right? And so he says, don't go to all these other fields. You come to this field where you'll be safe. I've told my men not to touch you. And then he dignifies her. He doesn't treat her like another beggar. And he says, if you read in verses 11 and 12, he says, this is what I heard in town about you. I heard how you stuck by your mother-in-law and how you treated your, um, your, your, past, your deceased husband so well and now you're treating her so well. You know what? He knows her story. Your father God knows your story. See, Boaz was showing, this, this is not why he woke up in the morning, or maybe it was. I want to act like God today. I want to treat others the way God would treat them today. But in his behavior, you're seeing bits and pieces of the character of God. He dignifies her. He says, I know your story. And then in verse 9 and verses 14 and 15, you see that he provides for her. He says, he says, are y'all okay that I'm not reading all this word for word? Please go home tonight and read Ruth chapter 2. It'll take you 30 seconds. Read the whole book. It's awesome. It'll take you 10 minutes, right? In verse 9, he says, come and drink with us and get it some bread and dip it in here, right? And if you go to any other farm, that you don't let the beggars come eat with all of us people who have jobs and worked hard, you know? They acted a lot like us today. Get a job. That's not how this man behaved, right? And then he said, and then he said later, come and eat with me. And then he said, I'll get to the other one later. So he provides for her. So he goes against his culture. Listen, Ruth was a foreigner. And not only was she was a foreigner, she's a woman whose deceased husband shouldn't have married her in the first place. So it would have been so easy for him to take the religious route, right? And say, this thing needs to go back to Moab, be with her family. But that's not what he did. He offered protection and inviting poor gleaners to eat and drink with the owners and the workers, that was not done. That was countercultural, right? Some of the things in our culture today that is accepted in common practice, look, have a close look. And if it doesn't smell like Jesus, you need to act the opposite, right? We need to be different than everything we see in the world around us. Then he went beyond the requirements of the law. The law said, it's in Leviticus 19, verses 9 and 10. And then again in Leviticus 23, verse 22. What I said about not keeping, picking up all the little pieces, but leaving it, that's there in Leviticus. That's what the law said. But let's look at what Boaz did in verses 15 and 16. I'm going to read this one to you. He's instructing his workers on the farm. And he says, let her gather among the sheaves and don't reprimand her. That's in keeping with the law. But then check this out. Even... Pull out some of the stalks for her from the bundles. He said, yo, get some of the good stuff and leave them for her to pick up. Y'all, this is above and beyond. He's going above and beyond, right? And I think you and I can go above and beyond. 
I think we can do that. Isn't it so much like God? He sees you. He knows your story. Psalm chapter, Psalm 139, it's all about God. You see me when I rise. You see me when I sleep. You know every word that comes out of my mouth before it even came out of my mouth. I can't escape your presence. Psalm 139, we sing it in Zulu all the time. You surround me, right? You place your sovereign hand on my life. It's an amazing thing. Jeremiah 1, before you, were, before you were formed in the womb, I knew you and I called you. He called Jeremiah a prophet to the nations. But what did he call you? Before you were formed in the womb, he knew you and he called you, right? He called you. He knows your story. Jesus said he's counted the number of hairs on your head, right? You know, my count's going down. And, and he says, you are worth more than many sparrows. Y'all just need to laugh. God is good. Yeah. He says you're more valuable than many sparrows. Isn't it beautiful? He knows your story. He knows where you've come from. He knows your name. You're not like a nameless, faceless mannequin in the crowd. You're a person with a story. And God is infinitely familiar with every detail. Every detail. So we see how Boaz now has looked so much like who God really is. And the question I have to ask myself at this point, which picture of God do people see in me? Do they say Naomi's vindictive, angry, afflicting God in me? Because that, that God actually doesn't exist. But is that what they see? Or do they see Boaz's God who does exist, the attentive protecting, providing God. Who do people see in me? Who do people see in you? And I would like to point out that sometimes a small kindness has big consequences. You know, it felt like a massive kindness to Ruth, but really, you know, obey the law, leave the little stuff that doesn't make us money anyway. And then maybe just a couple pieces of the good stuff. It's a really small kindness, but sometimes a small kindness has big consequences because you know, we're going to stay in chapter two, but if you read chapters three and four, after some time passed, at the beginning of chapter three, when it says one day, that means it's been a minute, okay? It means it wasn't, you know, one day he meets her and the next day, no, it's been a minute, all right? After some time passed, Ruth and Boaz were married and their first child was a boy named Obed. And who's Obed? Why does scripture go to all this trouble to tell us about Obed? Who's that? right? First of all, Boaz didn't know when he was kind that he would end up with a wife and children, right? So (laughs) thank you, Jesus, right? But secondly, who was Obed? Obed, sorry. Obed was David's grandfather. That's kind of a big deal, right? But then it gets better than that. Obed and David had a descendant, really important. Maybe you've heard of him. Jesus, right? Man, Boaz and Naomi and Ruth, they didn't know that they were being included in the greatest story ever told. I'm sorry. Listen, the birth of Jesus and his sinless life and his death and his resurrection. That's the greatest story ever told. The greatest story ever told. And here's this little old girl from the wrong country who marries the wrong guy and then he dies. And then she leaves the wrong country to go into another country so she could be a refugee that everybody looks down on. She is like the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus. 
Yo, sometimes small kindness has big consequences. And you have no idea, no idea what small kindness you're doing, what the consequences are. So I want to ask you a question. Who's ever heard of Edward Kimball? Are you serious? Like what kind of rock you been hiding? No, I'm kidding. I had to Google his name. <laughs> Who's Edward Kimball? Well, he was just a dude with a job. I don't even remember his job, actually. I, I couldn't find what he did. You know, he was just a guy that went to work. And then he would, like, volunteer at his Sunday school, and um, I think in the Chicago area. And he would teach Sunday school and meet with some kids. And you've never heard of this guy, right? Just a normal guy with a job. But you might have heard of one of his students, an uneducated grade five dropout who worked at a shoe store. Y'all know, yes, I know where I'm going, right? Have you ever heard of Dwight Moody? You ever heard of Moody, Moody Bible Institute, right? That was the uneducated grade five dropout, right? Edward Kimball was just a dude, like a mechanic or something. But he led this kid to the Lord. It's a small kindness. Hey, man, you might think you can't read. Well, actually, he couldn't read. It was pretty brutal, you know? You can't read. You might think you're not valuable. But, man, and he showed a kindness to this little kid who, in the early 20th century, when there weren't 7 billion people on the planet, there was a lot less people, led like over a million people to Christ in his lifetime, right? Small kindnesses have big consequences sometimes. Right? So the last thing tonight we want to look at from the story is the opportunity. Boaz had an opportunity to display the wisdom and the character of God when no one else around him had a clue. Well, he had to tell the men on his farm, leave that woman alone. Clearly, they don't have a clue that she's a daughter of the Most High God. Right? If you had to be told, don't molest this woman. Right? They didn't have a clue. Naomi didn't have a clue. She thought God afflicted her. Ruth didn't have a clue, but she, didn't, she grew up worshiping some silly idol that doesn't exist. Nobody had a clue but Boaz, and he seized his opportunity. So God, who can I see today that my culture is overlooking? Boaz saw her. God, who can I see today? I'll never forget Garth talking about that one time. He's saying, I'm not gonna just drive past people. God, who can I see? God, help me to see. Who can I show today that God is kind and good and knows their story? He's not indifferent. He's not angry. Who can I show? This morning, Pastor Louis pointed out that amazing things are happening for the refugees in Europe through the Christian churches there. Like incredible things. And you're like, really? I haven't heard about it on CNN. Well, yeah. And that, that's what he said. You won't see this in the media. And something rose up in me. I love that. And now I want to find, I want to hear those stories. But something rose up in me. Of course you don't see it in the media. And I don't blame the media. It's not for the media. That's not why God's doing it. It's for the refugees. God doesn't need press. He doesn't care about press. He doesn't want it. He wants sons and daughters. Right? So you're going to see God do amazing things through me. And how come CNN and talk about this? CNN will never talk about it. God doesn't care, so neither do I. It's not for the media. It's not for the fame or for the intention. 
It's for those people that he's showing what he's really like. Isn't that amazing? So God, God, would you, with a courageous prayer, God, would you do something so stunning and beautiful through me that no one will ever hear about? Because it's not for me and it's not for the media. It's not for the press. It's for your child. What opportunity do you have tomorrow when you go to work? Because remember, Boaz wasn't a priest. Boaz wasn't a Levite. Boaz was a farmer. And he was good at it. What are you, where are you guys going to go tomorrow? I bet less than 5% of the people in this room are going to go work at church tomorrow. Can you do something silly for me? If you're not going to go to work at a church tomorrow, would you raise your hand? Yeah, you're the ones God wants to show his beauty through. You're the ones. You're the ones. So that's our opportunity today. That's our opportunity tomorrow. And I would like to invite you, if you want to say, you know what, God? Would you show your amazing character, your beauty, your love, your compassion, your gentleness to whoever you want through me. God, help me, my eyes to be open. Help me to see. Maybe it's this little thing. Be led by the Spirit, whatever it is. Uh, Pastor Louis gave a great example this morning. He said in the workplace, maybe there's somebody whose view on life is so different from everyone else in that workplace, belief system or whatever. And, and that person is not safe in their workplace because people make fun of it. People talk bad about it. People look down on it. And maybe it's also incredibly different from mine. We also don't see anything alike. We don't agree on that stuff at all. But he said to that person, you know what? Around me, you're safe. We don't agree, but I'm not going to let other people slander your name and, and bully you and talk bad about you around me. Right? Because God protects. Isn't that amazing? Maybe you have an opportunity to protect somebody that feels unsafe. Right? What a beautiful example. I wish I could take credit for that, but that was our senior pastor who did that. So if you say, God, you know what? Please help me to wake up and be aware of those opportunities and use me where I'm at. Would you join me in standing? And we're just going to pray around this and then we'll be done for the night. I'm going to pass it back to, to Garth. Amen. So um, as I pray in my home language, you're welcome instead of listening to me to pray in your home language, right? And uh, ask the Lord for the same thing. So let's pray. Father, thank you for life. Thank you, Lord, that, for, that you are gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and rich in love. And you forgive, God. And you're just, Lord, that's who you are. And Lord, I pray, I surrender my life to you tomorrow when I go to work, also not in a church building. Lord, I pray, help me to be awake. Help me to not be asleep and, and go past people without seeing and not recognize. Lord, would you show me every opportunity to show people who you are and what you're like. And Lord, I pray, God, that you'd begin to do beautiful and amazing things and small kindnesses that have big consequences that maybe in our lifetimes we'll never see the fruit of, Lord, but it'll be for the glory of your name. 
And Lord, we pray your kingdom come, your will be done everywhere I go. Lord, if I see it, if I'm in a tiny place tomorrow and there's only four people, your kingdom come, your will be done with us five as it is in heaven everywhere we are. And Lord, we pray, Lord, let your gospel move through us and touch individual people because that's how you make change on the big scale. You don't speak to macroeconomics and this, that. You change individuals and the individuals change the world. So Lord, I pray that you'd move through me and I have surrendered my life to you all over again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Awesome, man. Mike, thank you so much. Just I had a conversation this week um, with people that are leaning forward and just saying, the Lord's stirring my heart. What, what do I do? And I just said, just who are the people that the Lord has opened your eyes to? That one or two or three people, you know? And uh, I, th- I think the challenge always is not to disengage because of the largeness of poverty or issues or human trafficking. It's just engage with the one or two or f- a handful that the Lord has opened your eyes to. So just with that, I just want to... Um, say, be encouraged to take this into the week, you know, work it through your life, you know, um, do the word, don't just hear it, um, and just want to say that if you've, if you've pledged today, uh, we've created actually some cool space there in the front, if you're not aware of it, uh, sorry, in the main auditorium there, um, just to take part in a prophetic action, so as you, it's the second time you've stood, it's almost like there's steps that are, that are being taken tonight. And maybe a next step for you, there's something about a nation or something that the Lord wants you to pray to. Maybe he's calling you to a nation. There's stickers like this. There's two maps in the main auditorium underneath the the big screens there, either side of the stage. Take a sticker, write your name on it, you know, put it on a specific part of the globe, you know, whatever that may be. Um, And then, uh, yeah, just maybe the Lord is laying it on your heart to pray for that nation or to support a missionary in that nation or just get involved in that nation some way. And then also connect, uh, you know, like I said, if connect, if you don't want connect to get awkward, you know, because it's me looking at you, looking at me, you know, whatever. um, I want to encourage you to connect with the partner ministries and the exhibits. As I said, if you, maybe that's the next step for you as well, just to get a, get an idea of what does God's heart look like and what are the things that affect his heart? What are the things that are on his heart? Just go have a look there. There will be um, quite a few of the ministry leaders, as you saw, will be there. In, interact with them, engage with them. The host table is also going to be that side for anyone that's interested in just getting to know about Hatfield if you're a visitor. Um, and then also the ticket sales for the ladies' events are going to be at the host table that side. So you've seen all those chain messages going around, you know, if you really, 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 really love Jesus, you know, then you will. I'm not going to do that, but I'm just going to say, if you really, 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 really want to get an idea of God's heart, please go check out the exhibits and just chat with the partner ministries there. So, Father, we just want to close this evening, and we thank you so much that you, are, you will not relent until your image is formed inside of us. Thank you that it comes from your side to us and that we get to reciprocate. And we don't want to wait. We don't want you to wait on us anymore, Lord God. We want to move with you. We want to work where you are working. Help us to see those that you've placed right under our eyes, Lord God, so that like Boaz, we can recognize them and say, sure, how can I be like the Lord in this situation, in this person's life? And because we don't know the ramifications. So Lord, we we, we are surrendered to you to be used by you. And we just pray that as we leave this place, that you would help us to live a life day and night that is worthy of praising you, 
so that our, the way we live our lives is that worship and that praise and that incense. Um, not just when we gather, but let this, let this just, the same zeal that we have, let it be present when we wake up tomorrow morning to live a life that brings you glory. We just pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Be blessed, guys. Thank you for being here. Have a good evening further.